Amy, we've got a bunch of little nieces and nephews between us, but we've also got a catch-all gift that all of our siblings love for their newborns. You're totally right, and it's Pampers Swaddlers, because Pampers Swaddlers wick wetness away to keep babies drier and subsequently parents happier. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better versus the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance. They're hypoallergenic and they're free of parabens and latex. Now you can try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes won't tear. In fact, they grip mess, shall we say, more firmly and clean better, leaving baby skin dry, soft, and smooth. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers Cash has no cash value. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this bonus episode of What Fresh Hell Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. This is Margaret. And this is Amy. And uh, yeah, we wanted to talk about COVID and what it's like to have mild cases of COVID and for your kids to have mild cases of COVID. I mean, it means a lot of different things, but there was a... An outpouring of disbelief and questions, and we thought we would (laughs) give you a little more information if you want it. So if you guys haven't heard this week's episode, we had a big reveal. It was like a sweeps week reveal, except for it wasn't sweeps week. And I don't think people know what sweeps week is anyway, so what (laughs) do we care? It's an alert. Oldilocks alert. Back in my day. But Amy let us know that she and her whole family have all had coronavirus. And so people were following up with uh, reactions and questions. And so we thought it would be a good idea to stick in a little bonus episode here and get a little firsthand account from Amy about what it's like to have coronavirus. So Amy, you got coronavirus in March. In March, yes. Give us a little bit of the timeline. Okay, so my uh, daughter got sick first with what we now know was COVID, but which did not have any of the symptoms that we were looking for at the time. So we'll talk about that. Like what were the symptoms in our case? Because they they weren't and aren't some of what you read about. She went first March 10th. I went down second on March 16th. My husband, March 18th. My oldest child, March 19th. And my middle child was never symptomatic at all, which is sort of par for the course, I think. And for perspective for people who are listening, we were still open and active in New York on March 10th. So like yes. you got it before people, before it really started shutting down. We had had a case in Westchester County, which is north of the city where I live, with a person who commuted into the city. It was like the worst possible case scenario, basically. It starts spreading. There's community spread. Not that it all traces to one person, but, you know, it starts spreading. What day of the week is March 10th, Amy? It was a Tuesday. (laughs) So the weekend before that, I was in the city, like hanging at a Mexican restaurant for a friend's birthday. Like we were not at all. We were kind of using hand sanitizer and being like, is something coming? But we weren't at all in shutdown mode. The kids were still in school. My kids' school shut down the 13th, I guess, which was that Friday. That's right. This was the week, just to to cast your mind back, this was the week that, you know, Tom Hanks has coronavirus. The NBA is canceling their season. School is closing. That all happened in this week week when for us, we had it already. We just didn't really 
realize it. But you're right. This was a moment. But it happened. Like Tom Hanks had coronavirus was two days after your daughter started showing symptoms. Yes. But like I said, I didn't know that her symptoms were coronavirus symptoms. So yes. And, and you are absolutely right. It was a time in New York where it was like, all right, let's all make gallows humor jokes and go about our business. You know what I mean? We like, I, right. We didn't get yeah, the memo. I, there was a school, there was a mother-son dance at my kids' high school, which we went to, and we didn't touch each other, but we went to a mother-son dance, and then, you know, I <laughs> rode the subway. That was an event you could have probably Yeah, yeah, and I remember skipped. one of my circle of acquaintances was like, I think we're going to stay home from that. And so we were, you know, I was washing my hands like crazy, using hand sanitizer, not hugging and going about my business with with a little like, uh oh, you know, like jokey demeanor. And that was not sufficient. And that didn't work. That didn't work very well. No. So what happens? Your daughter starts feeling how on March 10th? She wakes up and tells me that she's like exhausted, that she cannot lift her head, exhausted and nauseous. Now I need to to explain something else right here, which is my daughter gets migraines frequently and has for a couple of years. And it's sort of a chronic thing that unfortunately my kid has to deal with. So she was saying, I I, I can't even lift my head. I'm so dizzy. I'm so nauseous. I'm absolutely exhausted. And I said, sounds like you have a migraine, sweetie. And she said, no, this is different. This feels different. Huh? And I said, okay, stay home from school. Next day, mom, I'm exhausted. I'm absolutely exhausted. She did have a little bit of a fever. I'm not seeing a cough. I'm not seeing a runny nose. I'm not seeing, you know, the things that we were looking for then, which were cold symptoms. She just was expressing exhaustion, was insistent that it was different. I knew that she was really sick because she'd been watching TV for like, you know, 12 hours a day or something. So on day two, I was like, I am turning that TV off and you can, you know, you can do your schoolwork or you can do this or you can, but you cannot just watch any more TV. And she said, okay. And I put like a workout, I beamed it to the TV and she lay there and watched me do the workout for 60 minutes and she didn't like get up and go to her room she didn't you know fine pull out a book she just lay there not moving done watching me and I thought huh she does seem pretty sick by Friday she was fine and we're like huh that was weird Hmm. Uh, my brother and sister-in-law visited us that weekend And we had, again, sort of preface like, oh, this is weird times. What do you think? Uh, Like, okay, we'll be careful. Didn't touch each other. Drove my brother and sister-in-law to the airport that Monday. And they never got sick. They never, they were never tested, but they were never symptomatic. They're about 30. So it's possible they did have it. And they it's didn't, possible they're, yeah. They, yeah, they either didn't get it from us or they were asymptomatic. So I, I drive them to the airport, you know, air conditioning on, windows up for 45 minutes. And my daughter actually came with us because she felt fine. And on the way home for the airport, I had to pull off the road because I felt like I was going to faint and had extreme stomach pains like extreme, like I, I need, I need to pull over. I'm going to pass out. My stomach hurts so much. And I, you know, managed to get home where I lay on the floor for the rest of the afternoon where I, I've talked about this in the show before, like my kids, my husband were just sort of gathering around me with curiosity, like, mom, what are you doing on the floor? I'm like, I, I, I can't explain. Like, I cannot sit up. I feel so sick. And then start getting a fever and then start thinking, is this coronavirus? Nah, like I no cough, no runny nose, no sore throat, nothing like that. And uh, had a high fever the next day. We have what are clearly fevers. My thermometer is out of 
batteries, you know, those little like baby thermometers. It's not working. Great timing. Yeah. Don't have a thermometer. So I'm going to pause here and be like, if you make sure you have a thermometer that works <laughs> because I didn't. That's a good takeaway. Too. So we knew we all had some kind of a fever, but weren't able to, you know, give data on that to the doctors. It was only when we all started to get a feeling that we couldn't breathe, you know, that that the chest tightness was happening, that we started to suspect coronavirus, at which point we called each of our primary care physicians, my daughter's pediatrician, my own doctor, my husband's doctor, and all of them gave us the same advice, which was like, do not go to the hospital. Because again, this is a different time than it is now. You were not to go to the hospital in March, unless you know, you you would stop breathing, basically. <laughs> it was already too late. Don't go to the hospital. Right. They would. And even like, I know people who went to the hospital who could not walk across the room without falling down and they sent them home. They just did not have room at the hospitals for people. Yes. Or tests. So what they told us then is like, sounds like you might have it. And, you know, we don't know about the stomach pain and the exhaustion. That sounds weird. But if you have, you know, fever and tightness in your chest, you have it. And Presume you have it, and this is really, I think, the best advice for everybody, whether it was March or now or whatever, presume you have it and act accordingly. Because even now, if you get a test, I mean, it's it's good to have the test and know you have it and quarantine, but just quarantine anyway. And there are no... You're saying if you're sick, if you're showing symptoms. If you think you might have it and you can't get a test, just quarantine. So that's what they were telling us to do. And then there was absolutely nothing they could give you. Now, maybe there would be remdesivir or hydroxychloroquine or whatever, there's still no vaccine. So the best thing you can do is, so that's what we did, although I was still, so I was sleeping in a separate space from my husband. We were trying to use separate bathrooms, but I was still like cooking for my kids and stuff. But of course you were, because you're a mom. You're like, I have the the worst plague in a hundred years, but no, let me go ahead and make dinner. That's fine. Exactly. God forbid someone else cook dinner. Oh, and my spouse and I were in this like, no, 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 no. Like, no, I really am sick. No, 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 no. I like cannot, you know, cannot get out of bed right now. We're texting each other like who who can less afford. So he has it now as well by then. Yes, this is like my husband and I once had the stomach flu and we made a deal that you got to be in bed for two hours and then the alarm went off and the other person got to be in bed for two hours. And I would go in after the two hours and he'd be like, I'll give you $1,000 if you don't make me get up. And I'd be like, get up yes. or I will stab you Yes, to death. Like, that's it. Like, it's your turn. There's nothing like two parents sick. Yes, exactly. So we were having the like, who who can absolutely do this less contest? And my kids, it's funny, at the time I was talking to a friend, you know, over text and she's like, oh, the kids must be scared. I'm like, no, because from where my kids stand, like... I don't have it. This is stupid. Get out of bed. You're making this up. Like they had zero sympathy for me, which was probably a protective mechanism. But yeah, they, they had no time for this. Where's my dinner? They weren't feeling it. Yes. So to make it all feel a little more manageable, we felt like this, like exhausted, can't take a deep breath, you know, going up a flight of stairs, you have to stop, you know, no appetite, just like really just getting through the bare minimum of a day. I felt like that for about three weeks. And then there was another three weeks where I felt better. I wasn't going to exercise. I wasn't going to go for a long walk or anything, but I could do what I needed to do without feeling sick. That was the course of it for me and for my husband and for my teenage son who was sick. He had like a bad 36 hours and then he was fine. 
Right. So there is clearly like an age component. A range. Right. Right. Let me pause this for a second before we go any further. As we talk about coronavirus, please understand that we are two comedy podcasters talking about coronavirus. We are not, if you have been following the podcast and don't know this, I'm surprised, medical doctors. (laughs) We are not people you should be taking any medical advice from. We have no medical training. So as we talk about this is the symptoms that Amy had, this is what went on with her, hopefully it's illuminating and interesting, but it is not in place of medical information. Go to the doctor, call your doctor, get some telehealth, don't listen to this podcast for medical advice. That's right. I think like what I have to offer and to bring to the table that I feel is um, important to talk about is you know mild COVID and what it means because in our family, it has been a huge range of experiences. So like I said, my husband and I were sick for three weeks. My 17-year-old was sick for 36 hours. My 15-year-old was never sick at all. And my 12-year-old has had the rockiest recovery. She's been in the hospital a couple of times. She's never been admitted. She's had a wide range of testing and everything is testing well, but she is really after all this time not feeling better. So let me ask you, this is the first question that people want to know about coronavirus. Who has underlying conditions in your family? Yeah. So my daughter, like, because people seem to connect this thing of like underlying conditions go with bad COVID. Right. And conversely, no underlying conditions, you're not going to have a problem, right? Which is a, a comforting narrative. But in our case, if you had to point to an underlying condition for my daughter, it would be her migraines. It would not be the things you're hearing about more often, asthma or diabetes or, you know, compromised lung function or whatever. She doesn't have any of those things. She gets she gets um, migraines frequently. And so we are completely, you know, guessing as to whether that's related at all. But in her case, she has an underlying condition and it just has been a tricky they're calling it long haul. If you're if you're interested in this, if you search the internet for long haul COVID or you search like hashtag long haul, there are people who are expressing this sort of form of things. Most of these people were never hospitalized. These are mild cases. You just don't quite get better. And it's rare in children, but it's not non-existent. Right. Um, so now it's been... So now it's mid-August. Uh, four months. Four months? Five Five it's months. Been five months. Uh, how is your daughter feeling now? Well, she's has days when she can do, I'd say, a good portion of a of a usual amount of activity, and there are uh, days when she just has to stay in bed most of the day because she has what is being cautiously diagnosed as post viral chronic fatigue, um, where she just kind of can't kind of can't get going. She is a typical kid. And so my goal is always to have her do as much as she can whenever she can. But what can be tricky about this is if they exert themselves, people who have post-viral fatigue, you know, you think the answer is like, get out of bed, just go do something. Like I was saying to her that day, you know, day two of her illness when she's lying on the couch, suck it up. Like you're not going to watch TV anymore. (laughs) That works to an extent. But in this case, people with this mild COVID that goes on for a long time, exertion can actually be a setback. 
So you got to be careful with it. Yeah. Like she's, there have been times when, when I either pushed her to do something or, you know, she was running around outside and having a great time and I wasn't going to tell her that she couldn't do handstands. And then, you know, then the next day she seemed to really feel it. But just so that we don't give people panic attacks, she's doing significantly better. Yes. Her good periods are longer and higher and that's, that's what you want, you know? So she has two weeks of feeling good and then two or three days where she's just not herself at all. And then she comes back and she is doing better. She's going to return to school in person. We've just had a lengthy discussion with a medical professional who, you know, has told the school and us that like, yes, five months into this, if you're having some post-viral immune reaction, you're not still shedding the virus. Uh, So she can, she can go to school and partake in things, which she's really excited about doing. So if that's any sense of how she's feeling, she is so excited to go to school with the face shield and the dividers and the separate staircase and the, you know, the six feet apart. She, she can't wait. So that to me is a um, sort of yardstick of her feeling better. Good. All right. We'll be right back. Margaret, I've got a go-to baby shower gift that I give whenever there's another newborn in my life. Can you guess what it is? Amy, three guesses. First two don't count. It's Pampers Swaddlers. Exactly. Pampers Swaddlers keep baby skin dry, happy, and healthy. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better than the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist-approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic, and free of parabens and latex. Try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes are five times stronger, gripping mess more firmly, shall we say? and making diaper changes a breeze. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Then redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers cash has no cash value. Margaret, I've been at the research again, looking into metabolic health and more importantly, metabolic flexibility, which turns out is the key to improved energy levels, better sleep, better fitness, all the things. And I found out about all this because we got a chance to try Lumen, the first handheld device that helps you manage your metabolic health. Lumen works when you breathe into it. If you do that first thing in the morning or after a workout, Lumen measures your metabolism by measuring the amount of carbon dioxide in your breath. It's science, people. That lets you see exactly what's going on in your body in real time. Then you use Lumen's app to get tailored guidance to improve your sleep, your nutrition, even stress management. If you're interested in figuring out the effects of different sorts of foods on your body, Lumen is a really cool way to see what's actually happening as your body burns different fuel sources. If you want to take the next step in improving your health, go to lumen.me and use Fresh to get $100 off your Lumen. That is L-U-M-E-N dot M-E, lumen.me, and use the code FRESH at checkout for $100 off. Thank you, Lumen, for sponsoring this episode. Okay, we're back. Amy, let's talk about lessons learned. Yes. You guys have survived coronavirus. You're on the other side of it. Now, I want to make very clear that Amy and her family were like patient practically zero on this thing. (laughs) They had it in March, March 10th. And it is now past August. It's five months later. Mm -hmm. Five months later. And so your experience of contracting coronavirus now will likely be very different. Let's talk about that a little bit, Amy. Well, like I said, we were we were told like do not go to the hospital. 
there's no tests anyway. When my my daughter was finally tested a month after being sick, and then it took two weeks for the test to come back, and it was a negative test, but of course it was because she hadn't had a fever or whatever for weeks by that point. So um, now if you felt sick, they would be able to get you tested pretty quickly in most places, and results Depending take as long live. as they take. Yeah, but but more than like, we'll test you a month later and then wait two weeks for the results. Just to be clear, you know you had coronavirus because all five of you tested positive for the antibodies. We tested positive for the antibodies. That's right. But none of us have a positive test because I never got tested in the first place. Uh, Neither did my husband or my son. And my daughter's illness went on long enough that we had to go to the ER. And then she was given a a test and uh, yeah, negative. I will say, because I think people might be wondering, Amy and I record... In separate locations. So Amy's in Manhattan and I'm in north of that in Westchester County. And so for people who are like, how didn't we get it by sitting in the studio together? We don't do that. (laughs) So that's why. We've we've been so socially distanced all along. We have the perfect socially distanced job. (laughs) And like big up to Amy, who was feeling pretty bad and would come on and be like, I'm feeling terrible, but would record. So we never missed a week of recording because Amy's just that cool. <laughs> it gave me something to, uh, you know, to hold on to, right? If I was well enough to do the podcast, then then the, the sun was going to come out tomorrow. But I will say also in probably a week after that, no relation to Amy, my three of members of my family were sick, but it was a similar thing. I was driving my car and suddenly I was like, I'm going to be sick out of almost out of the blue. And my daughter and son and I ran on and off fevers for 10 days. And so I keep being like, oh, I should go get the antibody test because there was about two days in the middle there that where I was pretty sure I had it. But yeah, I felt so much better. I was exercising again like six days after that. So I was like, that can't be coronavirus. But who knows? I'll get my antibody test at some point. Well, they seem to to at least be starting to figure out that that lower viral load means lower level of illness. That Right. That means for those of you who don't know what a viral load is, I had to look it up. If you're like intubating a patient and leaning over them and they cough like a giant deep lung cough right in your face, you're going to get a large viral load. They're like putting the virus right in your face. <laughs> if you are have incidental contact with someone who has it and you get a minor case, then you don't, that's a lower viral You probably load. had lower Again, viral load. Again, not a doctor, didn't go to medical school. Yeah. Uh, can I tell you some things that I wished we had in the house and I think is just sort of good practice, like get these yes. things going? The thermometer with batteries. By the time I was able to order a battery on Amazon, because of course we were not leaving the house through these things. We got Instacart groceries delivered and, you know, ordered the battery from the CVS and there was no medicine to be had anyway. So uh, get, make sure you have a thermometer that works. Make sure you have Mucinex. I have not seen this listed anywhere, but it's a it's a non-prescription medication, so I feel comfortable saying our doctors advised us, take Mucinex. It'll keep your cough loose in case you start to cough. Eventually, a couple of us started to cough, and it never progressed, you know, too seriously. But uh, we took Mucinex, and we're, you know, we all got better. So I'm going to say that's something to consider. And of course, like tea, like tea and honey that you that you would like and that your kids would like. Get as much of that as you can. Gatorade, you know, have some of that around. All the sicky stuff, chicken soup. Yeah. You know, when, when you don't feel great, it's like whatever you can get down, whatever salty, sugary, liquidy calories you can ingest, the better, the more liquid, the better. I've been going with that theory without having coronavirus. Yeah. Whatever <laughs> salty and sugary foods I can get in, the better. <laughs> I'm already way ahead of you on that one. <laughs> 
Uh, and the the last thing is a, a pulse oximeter. Oh, the pulse oximeter might be hard to get now. I don't know. We so my I think they're coming back in now. I think you can get them again. My daughter had been sick for a couple of weeks, and we were doing like telehealth appointment number, you know. 13 with her pediatrician. Wait, Amy, shouldn't we pause and tell the audience what genius person told you to get a pulse oximeter? Margaret Abels. Wasn't it me? <laughs> I was going to say the pediatrician. Oh, I <laughs> think pediatri- I told you to get one. Yes, you had mentioned it. You're right. And then the, then the pediatrician was sort of like, because- Listen, who needs a pediatrician when you have a podcast partner? Yeah, my non-medical uh, professional podcast partner was like, get a pulse oximeter. Anyway, they are good to have because you or your kid or whatever is saying like, I feel like I feel like I have shortness of breath. I feel like my heart is racing, both of which are things that have continued. And- this pediatrician who was trying to diagnose her through a screen said, you know what, go get a pulse oximeter. And she gave me the best advice. She said, like, don't go to the CVS, go to the mom and pop medical supply store, because they're going to be more likely to still have one in stock. But that mm. was good advice. Mm. And, they, and it was, All right, there and it you worked. Go. I had to drive like half an hour to get one, but I got one. And my daughter started taking her, you know, it measures your pulse and also the level of oxygen in your blood. It's just important to have that information. And sometimes you can get a weird reading. So t- so if you get one that looks a little low or a little high, you know, take it again, take a picture. I mean, you know, I had in some cases doctors saying like, well, I don't, I don't think that was a good reading. I'm like, okay, well, we did it again and then we got the same reading because your pulse can be, you know, one thing about even mild cases of this, your pulse can be higher than it should be and your oxygen will of course be low. Your blood oxygen level will be lower than it should be. But what's sort of weird about this disease, I guess, is like, well, if your if your blood oxygen was only 91%, you wouldn't be able to be sitting there and talking to me right now, but you can. It's like a weird thing about this. And so the the oximeter really helped us take care of my daughter at home and feel safe because like if these numbers you know me I love data I love <laughs> I love something I can measure and this was a way to be like if her numbers are here then we're in good shape if her numbers get to this point I feel like a pulse oximeter can sound like I don't know like a life-saving like it looks like it's gonna cost twenty thousand dollars they're like 40 bucks maybe. oh yeah they're nothing and it just really helped me as a you know a worrying parent be like she tells them she doesn't feel well but these numbers are, are this and so I know it's okay and then then when we did end up going to the ER it was because her numbers had dipped to a point where her pediatrician over telehealth was like okay let's get her seen and we got her seen and she actually got a bunch of IV fluids in the ER and it really helped her her heart rate get back to normal so that's the other th- and that's the other thing I didn't know until I was in this situation is if you have like racing heart all that kind of thing Drink, 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 drink. That helps bring the racing heart rate down. I had no idea. Also secondhand medical information. Yes, yes, but it can't hurt. I am like, we need an, like an oldie locks alert. We need like, we're not doctors to play when whenever we give anything even close to medical advice. I feel like, I feel like as when I'm saying like drink water and drink Gatorade, that that's, you know, the downside of that is pretty, pretty limited. Yes, I hope. but if you have a racing heart rate, you should talk to your doctor and not just take the advice that you heard on this podcast. Please, yes. Please. Always. So what are our conclusions from this experience, Amy? You know, it's frustrating, as you might imagine. People are about to send their kids back to school, right? And they're like, right. wait a minute. I think we need accurate information. So you can imagine how frustrating it is. <laughs> I mean, good luck with that, Amy. Right, but it is incredibly frustrating as a parent to hear kids don't get this or kids don't get sick because I know that that's not true. What is true is that kids seem to have serious complications 
far less often. Very serious complications and death, far less often. Can they get it as easily? It's unclear because such a high rate of cases are asymptomatic. But I do think as you factor in your decisions about should you send your kid down the street to the birthday party, should you, you know, be going to karate lessons right now, whatever, the the idea that it's impossible for your kid to get to get coronavirus or to feel sick from it is is more than zero. That's all that's all I can say. Yeah, and I mean, this is where there is emerging data, right? Kids are testing positive for coronavirus. Hundreds of thousands, I mean, what is it, 100,000 kids in July? Yes, I have I have here, I want to make sure I got it right, CNN, more than 97,000 children tested positive just in the last two weeks of July. Frankly, that is fairly good news because we're not hearing a ton about Kids are dying from coronavirus. There are children who die from coronavirus, but the numbers on children are genuinely looking pretty good. It doesn't mean, I mean, kids die from the flu. Kids die from all sorts of diseases that don't kill most people, even the measles, you know, like a lot of people don't die from the measles. You don't want to get it. So I think that we are exactly at that nexus of like, here's the thing with coronavirus. You don't want to get it. You don't really want your kids to get it. But... As we start heading back to school in the fall, you know, there is some chance that your kid is going to come in contact with people with coronavirus, that they are going to get coronavirus. And um, it's just present. I just feel like it's important to say, like, it's it's mitigated risk. It's not non-existent risk. And and it's not good information. That's a vibe that we haven't lived with a ton as parents of our generation, right? Which is like, it's like, well... You get the measles vaccine, then your kids doesn't get the measles. That is actually pretty much how it works, you know? Uh, right. Yes. If right. anyone's going to write to me and be like, there's a percentage, I get it. But we have lived lives of like pretty much lack of risk in a lot, a lot, a lot of areas that like we do all of the things, we get the vaccines, we send our kids, we don't let them ride bikes without helmets. We da-da. We're like very risk averse and we go to the fire department to make sure that the seat is incorrectly and, you know. This is a different situation for a lot of us, which is there is an unmitigated risk in our lives that we have to deal with. Yes. But I think the data is generally pretty comforting, that the numbers are very much on your side with coronavirus being something that kids can survive. You have had an experience where you have a kid who really had a very, and is still dealing with long-term effects of coronavirus. Yes. So that's another data yes. point. Yes, it's, it's chronic. Yeah, it's become, it's become chronic at this point, and there are thousands of people out there like her, and the sort of why this is happening and when it will resolve are still very poorly understood. She's safe. She's going to be safe. And the good news is we knew from a very early point, because all her testing, which tests for things that aren't COVID, right? This is a novel coronavirus. So like her, she's had multiple chest x-rays. She's had heart scans. And, you know, the good news is I think she's gotten excellent care. And the good news is these tests are showing that her heart and her lungs are working like they should. But then there's still, so then why is this weird thing happening? And the answer is we're not sure. Um, So I, I just think like from an absolute point of view, the one thing I can cross off everybody's list is you don't want to get this. And so the mitigation, the risk mitigation that you're undergoing, the mask that you're wearing, the mask that you're making your kid wearing, even when she really doesn't want to, is worth it. That's all I'm saying. That it, this isn't a like, ah, eh, whatever, let's just hurry up and get it over with, is a not well-informed point of view. 
The other piece of good news is that the mitigation provided by masks is looking pretty good. So it's not 100%. You don't want to be going to a, you know, concert with 10,000 of your closest friends, not wearing a mask or wearing a mask. You don't want to be in gigantic crowds of people. But we hopefully can under, you know, my, my school is going two days a week. They're splitting the classes. They're cleaning the classrooms. They're doing a ton of things to help us stay safe. And within that context, hopefully there is this element that we possibly think there is of lower viral loads. So like what you don't want to do is be probably wherever Amy and her family got it. We don't know where that place was, <laughs> was right. a person coughing directly into your mouth, basically. Right. I mean, you got a probably bad case of it. Mm, I don't think so. I mean, that I do want to push back on that, like because people have asked me, of course, from the beginning, how do we get it? Because you want to know so you cannot do that one thing. Right. I like how did I get it? I lived in New York City where the virus was everywhere. And uh, and and, you know, there was community spread happening that we weren't fully aware yet. So I wasn't around. I can't tell you this person gave it to me at this party or I was in an elevator with somebody who coughed. I don't have a, a you know one moment like that. But I was living in a place where nobody was wearing masks ever because they were telling us not to. So so that's a big change. No, I'm totally making a joke about someone coughing you in your mouth, but you got it from a person not wearing a mask. That's basically what I'm trying to say. Right. And I got it from me not wearing a mask and the other person, whoever they were. Right. So like you got it in a different situation than most people are in now. You Most right. people are in situations where if they're talking to another human being, both of those people are wearing masks. So you did get it in a situation that... I mean, be very clear that I'm not saying like, you've got it. I'm never doing that. I'm saying like in March, I was doing a lot more. I was at a bar the night you got it, you know, in, Man- right. in lower Manhattan eating Mexican food with 12 friends. But now I would not be in that same situation. Things have changed. That's all I'm saying. That's right. You should just feel good as a parent about the things that you are doing to keep your family and your kid safe, you know, prioritizing safety can't ever be the wrong thing. And you're doing the right thing. And the the people who might tell you that kids can't get it or that it's nothing if they do get it are not well informed. And and you your kid will be safer than an immunocompromised adult. But why not make them that little bit more safe by making sure they wear a mask? And like everything on the podcast, it's a double life lesson. I have my kids wear masks. We have some high risk people in our lives. And I am convinced on the science of mask wearing. Better that the person you're talking to, I believe in the theory, my mask protects you, your mask protects me, basically. But there is emerging data that your mask also protects you, that it's droplets and you don't want to get droplets in your mouth. And so wearing a mask helps that. Yeah. Um, Therefore, I have my kids wear masks when they're around other people and cannot social distance, which sounds like, right, isn't that what everyone's doing? But- when my kids are in a situation where like there's other kids around or whatever it happens to be, I don't trust their ability to social distance. So I'm like, just keep a mask on. The mask doesn't bother them. My kids don't have a huge issue with keeping their masks on. And they have sometimes had kids be like, oh, just take your mask off. We're not wearing masks today. And they're like, no, we're more comfortable keeping them on. Guess what? That's a double life lesson of other kids telling your kids what's right for them. And they say, you know what, we've made a different decision than that. And so that works too. These are tough situations all the time and uh, ground rules set in advance 
worked the best. We we were seeing um, family members recently and said, in the, we're going to see them outside. We're going to be socially distanced. But, you know, these situations can be a little, the, the borderlines can get a little wavy. And so I just like said to the kids in the way there, we are not going inside. And if you do go inside, you must have a mask on. Go to the bathroom, whatever. And, and if the kids say, let's go down to the toy room, you're going to say, no, we're not doing that today. And if you're inside for any reason, your mask is on. You understand me? Yes. And And having that conversation beforehand makes it easier for your kids if they're put in an uncomfortable situation to say, well, you know, I, I, as I said, like, blame it on me. Say so my mom's crazy. I don't care. You know, d- d- give them the parameters ahead of time. It seems to make it easier for them in the moment to say, well, this is what I need to do. And the takeaway is what a skill to be building in your kid. The ability to be in a situation where everyone's like, you're doing the wrong thing. Come do what we're doing. And having them practice the skill of saying, we're actually going to do this thing that seems kind of square and lame. And we're going to be okay with it. It it just also make one decision. You know, I'm kind of like, we're just going to keep our masks on in crowded situations, period. Makes it easier for me to not have to be constantly watching you guys. Are you doing this? Are you doing that? Works for me. I'm going to put some links in the show notes for this episode up to long haul COVID stuff if anybody's interested in that, because it's something that's, like I said, poorly understood, but getting to be better understood. CNN just did an article on kids with long haul this week. So it's just starting to come out. And I don't want to alarm anybody. It's just more like if you know somebody who you think might be in this situation, knowing that you're not crazy is is very helpful. Guys, we can't go with solved it, but that's Amy's no. story. No, we cannot. That's Amy's solve it. journey through coronavirus, guys. <laughs> but thanks for all the well wishes, everybody. I really appreciate it. And thanks for listening to our bonus episode, guys. And we'll talk to you on our regular uh, question of the week and episodes next week. So long. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, whew, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. If you're a parent, I invite you to join us at the Mindful Mama podcast, where it's all about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. With sometimes hilarious and always thought-provoking experts and friends, at Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm Hunter Clark Fields, and I can't wait to see you there. Listen in to the Mindful Mama podcast.